greetings to all of our friends from Faith Lutheran Church and everyone uh, streaming in this morning. I'm Chaplain Aaron Bell. I'm a military chaplain serving down at Camp Pendleton with uh, Wounded Warrior Battalion. And I will be filling in for Pastor uh, Jeremy Rohde this morning. Um, we are actually this morning going to take a slight detour from Revelation. So I would invite all of you to open up to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Today we're going to look at murder, adultery, and divorce. So some, some very lighthearted topics. Um, uh, you know, this just gives you a slight insight into my world as a military chaplain. Um, so... Uh, so yes, we will look at these. We'll be drawing heavily from uh, Dr. Jeff Gibbs' uh, commentary, uh, Concordia commentary series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter one or chapter five here. Um, I had uh, Dr. Gibbs in seminary, and you know his his big thing is always you know the the narrative or like the storyline of whatever you're reading in in Scripture, and how does that kind of inform you. So it's basically scripture interprets scripture. Uh, so as we look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount here, uh, he, he actually makes a point um, in, in these verses, um, you know, especially, you know, there's those uh, uh, two little verses on divorce there. Uh, a lot uh, has been said about those verses. And so he, uh, Dr. Gibbs's uh, main point is that we need to have scripture interpret scripture. We need to not just read this whole section literalistically as if it is case law. Um, so to speak, he uses that, that phrase here. Um, and what, how he puts it is, this is basically a, a general truth, a sweeping revelation that comes from the very heart of God, but does not give explicit answers to all the specific questions that the, dis the disciples, ancient or modern, um, might have on important matters. So uh, with, with that, um, you know, what we're doing with that understanding is we are guarding ourselves from any um, uh, wrong answers that we could be subject to, um, maybe even abuse as we go through uh, these different verses here. Um, so again, it's not explicit, um, you know, application covering all particular circumstances. We need to allow for Scripture to interpret uh, Scripture. So he gives just a couple examples here of why we need to have Scripture interpret Scripture um, based on what Jesus says elsewhere and what uh, the inspired authors of Scripture say elsewhere. Um, so Jesus forbids anger against your brother and Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. But surely he also prohibits, prohibits anger against non-Christians, although he doesn't explicitly state that here. Uh, second, in spite of how he teaches uh, the surface teaching of Matthew 27 through 28, that a man should not look on a woman lustfully, um, well, surely the man can look upon a woman if that woman is his own wife, um, though that is not explicitly mentioned there. Um, and, you know, there's a couple other examples, but that's just, you know, as you're reading through this, you, we, we need to have Scripture interpret Scripture. 
um, as, we, as we go through this section on uh, Matthew. And um, so, without further ado, we'll start with Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26 um, on murder. This is Jesus speaking here. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to the judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So one, one aspect of this idea of, of murder is how Jesus expands it to include bitter and angry thoughts within the heart. And you know, it, is, it is possible that you know, thoughts of murder can actually lead to you know, real-life murder, right? Because that's how you know, that happens. You know, it takes root, and eventually you know, a person thinks about it so much that it becomes... An, an option or even something that they do. Um, the same thing as suicide. So, you know, sin always takes root first in the thought. So we should, uh, so Jesus uh, is pointing that out here. Um, however, uh, there's, there's this other point that Dr. Gibbs makes that we also want to look at is there's a difference between thoughts of murder and actually killing someone. So it's not like you would treat, you know, a Christian who had just told you, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, hurting someone versus, hey, I just killed somebody. Like, you're going to treat those two people um, very differently. Um, but it still comes from that same, you know, bitter root of wrath. Um, and uh, th one, one thing that's very interesting here is when Jesus talks about if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has, has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. How many times have you heard it in, you know, the Christian community where, you know, someone has a grudge against someone else? Uh, my, my professor from Concordia at St. Paul um, once told me of a... Um, this conflict that was happening between, and this was a long time ago, but there was like this argument between these different groups who ran the kitchen over this one pot. Like there had been this one event that was done and this pot was used and it was a little dirty. And there was just this argument over who's going to clean the pot. It's like, you guys should clean the pot. No, you guys should. I'm not, this is not my responsibility. And this actually turned into a, uh, a point of conflict for, for the church. And so... 
this is Dr. Mark Schuler that told me this. For a sermon, uh, he actually brought the pot into the pulpit and just scrubbed it and just cleaned it right for everyone to see, you know. And it was a very, a very memorable sermon, I'm sure. But, but this, uh, you know, grudges are kind of, you know, they're a normal part of society, right? So, so this is very countercultural here, what Jesus is saying. For, for back in the day, in first century Judaism, but also for us today, he's highlighting this truth that Christians cannot pretend that their horizontal relationships don't affect their vertical relationship with God. You know, if, if we as Christians want to get right with God and go to church, we need to get right with our brothers and sisters in, in the faith. And if we have grievances outside the faith, we need to uh, be at peace with all people as much as possible here. Uh, you know, we, there, uh, you know, it can have a lot of undermining effects if we continue to live in a body of Christ and, and, you know, go to church and worship and we kind of ignore that, that reality. It can undermine our own faith in Jesus and it can undermine us and our um, uh, authenticity as a Christian community. Um, you know, if you've ever, uh, I did a, a, a ride along with a police officer once in um, Wisconsin on, on Vicarage. I know Pastor Rodi had his Vicarage here. Um, but in the, the police officer said he had a hard time going to church uh, because uh, he, he went to this baptism once and he knew the, both parties of, in the baptism, right? He, because he had met both of them in, in the course of his work as a police officer. And he knew that both families hated each other. Like there was, was like a, a Hatfield and McCoy type situation. And, you know, everyone else in the church, they could kind of ignore that and pretend that wasn't happening. But, but the police officer had actually hindered his ability to worship at that church because, you know, he, he, could, see, he could see through that too. You know, these people aren't living right with each other. How can they, you know, be right with God here? And, and so, you know, Jesus' words, they, they strike, strike a accord with us today if we have uh, grudges against, you know, each other or our, you know, a friend, a, a family member, a, a spouse, that we are called to settle that um, before we uh, enter the church here. Uh, there's, there's a parallel in the, the Lord's Supper in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 that, you know, if there's uh, divisions and uh, bitterness and uh, this competitive spirit, um, that, you know, we should, we should flee that. We should avoid this comparing spirit among uh, believers there. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned before, there is, there is definitely, you know, a difference in, in dealing, even though Jesus is saying you're in the danger of, you know, the fires of hell when you, when you call, you know, when you harbor wrath against your, your brother, there is still a clear difference if someone tells you, you know, they're thinking about hurting someone versus, you know, they, they, they have hurt someone. Just a, a side note here, one, one of the interesting things about the, uh, being a military chaplain is this whole idea of confidentiality. Uh, in, the, in the, you know, normal, you know, everyday civilian world, you know, pe- 
pretty much everyone is legally mandated to be, you know, if you hear of certain things going on, you're, you're mandated to report those. You know, if there's a report of child abuse, uh, you know, threats of suicide, um, you know, sudden imminent harm. Um, as, a, as a civilian uh, pastor, there was uh, a couple of times where I was in, in that situation where, you know, I, I knew or had heard of someone who was thinking of hurting themselves and pro- proceeded to, uh, you know, report that to make sure that person could get uh, taken care of. But as a chaplain, you have, it's very strange, you have 100% confidentiality. And that includes, you know, com- if there was a commission of a crime, if someone comes to, you know, me, if someone comes to me as a chaplain, like a, you know, some Lance Corporal and says, hey, I just, you know, offed my, you know, friend or whoever, like, you know, and buried them, you know, like I, as a chaplain, you know, if it meets the criteria of they're coming to me to get it off their conscience and, you know, they're, they want it to stay confidential, then it stays uh, totally confidential. Um, and that, that is how the Department of Defense has set up military chaplains, basically to give uh, service members a safe space to come and say whatever is on their hearts and minds. Uh, and they can trust that the chaplain will keep that completely, totally under wraps and uh, secret. Now, when someone comes to me with, uh, now, I personally have not had anything super extreme, you know, brought to me as, in six years as a Navy chaplain, but I've had some, some doozies brought to me. And what, what that does is that allows me as a chaplain to provide, you know, counseling and, and you know, how I'm going to, you know, deal with them and try and encourage the person to come forward um, and, you know, get there, get right with God, get right with, you know, the law and all of those things. But, but again, um, how you as a Christian are going to deal with someone who has committed a crime versus someone who is thinking about it, committing a crime. Those are uh, two different things there. Um, but that is kind of the, just some thoughts on the murder section here. Um, any, uh, any comments or questions uh, in what we've discussed so far. I have a question. Uh, or, oh, here, here we go. We got the oh. microphone coming. <laughs> I said there was no microphone today. Oh, <laughs> yes, no, please. My question is when you mentioned about confidentiality, mm-hmm. somebody commits a crime mm-hmm. and the police is involved in investigating and they come to you, mm-hmm. is that there is an exception where you have to disclose something that you know in confidentiality? Um, confidentiality? They're, Just curious about that. That is an excellent question. Um, so there, there are um, no, there are no exceptions to it, whether in the uh, military or civilian uh, court. Um, it's, it's, I think it's called the Miranda test or something. I have to review the instruction. But, but if it meets those those three criteria, they, they're the person is speaking to someone that can reasonably be assumed to be a chaplain. Um, so say someone is wearing a chaplain uniform, but they're not really a chaplain, and they're sitting in a chapel, and someone comes and tells them this secret, that would still be, like, confidential. Uh, so reasonably assumed to be a chaplain, they're, te- they're telling it to you uh, as a matter of conscience, and they want it to remain confidential. That is, that is buried. You're, 
there it stays it stays with the chaplain thank you okay excellent that's that's on uh, that's some some thoughts on uh, um, murder there um, the and uh, and going forward here with uh, verses 27 through 30 Jesus's words on adultery here You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So one, one of the things Christians want to be careful of is we don't want to take this section on lust too literally as uh, some church fathers actually have. Uh, there, some church fathers have actually gone so far as to emasculate themselves um, out of a misreading uh, of this, this text here. Uh, Jesus is not saying to literally cut off, you know, a, a body part, you know, to, you know, avoid sinning. But what he is saying is radical action may be needed to t- be taken in order to get a... Um, and get clear of some temptation or get clear of some kind of sin. It may be whatever action you take is uh, as almost as painful as, you know, get as literally chopping off a limb of some kind here. Um, so, you know, it, it will not be a painless process. You know, this, this uh, speaks to, uh, to addictions of, of all kinds, um, uh, not just necessarily to uh, adultery here. Um, did you know that uh, the, uh, let's see, the 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, it was based on a Lutheran pastor's uh, group. That, so, so someone else took what a Lutheran pastor had done and created, uh, kind of modified that and created Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so that so that whole idea, you know, you kind of hear that in the language of you know, there's confession and absolution uh, language in uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous Creed, and, and as you know, many of you uh, know that we you know Alcohol- Alcoholics Anonymous groups meet all over uh, the the country. We actually have one that um, used to meet here. I don't know if they still uh, do or not, but um, I, they have they have in the past, and. Um, the, so that whole idea, uh, you know, cutting off a temptation, you know, whatever, whatever that may be, it doesn't necessarily mean cut, cutting off a limb, but it could mean, uh, you know, changing your lifestyle or changing your job, you know, changing your, your uh, you know, your social circle, you know, all of those different things. It could be something very, you know, very painful, um, you know, something where, I mean, you might think, well, this is who I am, you know? 
this is who I've always been. You know, I can't, I can't not be this or do this because, you know, my identity is built on, you know, whatever is associated with this here. Um, you know, we, uh, we talk about addiction a lot in the, in the military. Uh, there's a lot of special programs, you know, de dealing with alcoholism and, you know, things like that in, in the military just because it's, it's one of those situations. You talk to um, the, po the police Marines are called PMO. I'm sorry, I don't know what it stands for, but the PMO Marines. Um, and I talked to one of them about how, you know, they get their crime reports every, you know, every day. And they could just without fail see wherever there was like a bad one that happened, there was always alcohol that was involved. And so like, so that's something that the military is always trying to deal with is how do we deal with, you know, alcohol and substance abuse and, and you know, how do we deal with, with those things? And, you know, one of the, one of the things for if, if any of you are dealing with alcoholism or, or any addiction at all uh, is if you can, when you're in the middle of what, whatever that, you know, say as it's usually something that's ongoing, right? So, you know, usually something that happens, you know, every day, um, maybe, maybe not every day, but, you know, usually the same kinds of circumstances repeat themselves. And it is those circumstances that trigger the uh, behavior. So, you know, if you can, you know, take a step back, a radical step back, you know, as Jesus demands, and look at those circumstances and look at what in those circumstances you can control, then, you know, and then start cutting, you know. Um, that's, that's kind of what, that's the spirit of what he's getting at here, not necessarily, you know, chopping specific limbs from your, from your body there. But, uh, so just some thoughts on uh, addiction and uh, uh, controlling that there. Um, the, there is uh, some difference also, just as we noted with murder, there's difference between thoughts of murder and actual murder in, in the eyes of God and in the eyes of society. So that's, it's not like we're saying they're the same thing. So also with adultery, um, lusting after someone is wrong, obviously in the eyes of God, but it's not the same to the same level. It shouldn't be treated in the eyes of God the same way as someone who actually commits, you know, the full physical act of adultery with another person here. So, um, you know, the basically one of the key points is, you know, in a physical act of adultery, you have two people that are, you know, guilty of wrongdoing. Whereas when you have just the, the mental, emotional act of adultery, then it's only one person that is guilty at that point. And the, the person being lusted after is guilty of, or innocent of wrongdoing at, at that time. So that's, that's a big difference between, you know, mental adultery and actual physical adultery there. Um, and, you know, some other, some other thoughts, these lustful thoughts, they, uh, they can damage uh, relationships uh, significantly, but um, the relationship may still survive those lustful thoughts um, in spite of that. Um, if the person is repeatedly uh, repenting 
of those sins. And then um, another, another difference um, between lusting in your heart versus lusting in, um, you know, or in a physical act of adultery, obviously, is the, uh, the communication of venereal diseases. And um, unfortunately, uh, pregnancy. And, you know, children are a gift from God, but, but children born into, you know, that kind of circumstance. Children are often born into broken homes, and they may suffer a, a lifetime of, you know, dysfunction and relationships, uh, relationship problems. Uh, you know, so, you know, we, uh, we have uh, this, this idea of, um, you know, we, we look at today, you know, our definition of marriage and gender uh, descriptions and, you know, self-identification, all of these things are, like, really just different today than they were 50 years ago. We can all agree on that. But, um, you know, just recognizing where, what is the root of all that, it is lust and, you know, un, unguarded lust here. Um, you know, some, uh, just some uh, impact that I've, you, you often see in the military uh, from, from lust is, you know, it, it can impact marriages, it can impact, you know, uh, just relationships in a, in a very significant way. Um, there's this, uh, there's a book called What It Is Like to Go to War by uh, Carl Marlantis, and he's talking about, in the book, uh, dealing with the Vietnam War and you know, the trauma of combat and then the trauma of coming home and trying to reintegrate, you know, back in the, back in the civilian world. And that... That process was complicated for Marlantis. Um, he was supposed to come back this one date. He was delayed 10 days from coming back. And it wasn't some military uh, you know, change of operations that, that delayed him. He told his family it was, but then he later came clean. He was delayed 10 days because he had caught a uh, venereal disease from a prostitute in the, on the island of Okinawa while he was... Uh, waiting to come back, but he was too embarrassed to tell his family that truth when he came back. But, and then, um, when he came back, um, the, he had his mom there at the airport to greet him, and he had a old girlfriend that they had broken it off, and, but she was there. So, guess where Marlantis, you know, spent the night that night with the old girlfriend, um, so, which, again, that didn't help his reintegration back into society to jump right into this unstable uh, relationship there. Um, you know, we've, we talk about things like, um, you know, LGBT, you know, community and things like that, and, and we ought to, though that's important. But, um, you know, looking... Looking back at, you know, what we used to look and focus on as a church, this idea of living together before marriage. Um, this, is, this is often seen as, a, as like a way to test drive the, the spouse, right? To, um, you know, are, are, is this person marriage material? Well, let's kind of audition them to see, you know, how they are, um, you know, living together. And, um, you know, this, this basically leaves the relationship 
kind of in the hands of the hormones of you know, the, the couple involved. And uh, living together before marriage dramatically increases uh, the risk of divorce, like, like 20%, I think some statistics show. Um, so, and if you think, um, say they're in this situation where they're auditioning for the role of spouse, and then a child is born into that situation. So now this, uh, now this child is growing up in this kind of unstable environment, and what's going to happen to those romantic feelings between the couple, you know, when they're up three, four times a night trying to keep this little bundle of joy alive, right? Um, so now, and now not only that, the, the couples have to continue auditioning for the role of spouse and deal with the stress of being a new parent. It's just, it's very unstable. Um, and uh, it in, prevents people from being, just being the vocations that God made them to be. Husband, wife, mother, father. So, all, so that's, that's something, you know, that, you know, I think Jesus' words can definitely speak to is this, this idea of adultery and, you know, living together and, you know, all of those. And then, of course, that will ha- have bearing on the discussion on uh, divorce here in a little bit. But um, any, any thoughts on uh, this section here on adultery and, and what that might look like? Any comments or questions or anything? Yes. Uh, never have, uh, having experienced this, uh, I know one of the most important things that it does is it breaks the bond that is nat- naturally there. And I think that's really important that the marital bond is secure uh, throughout the marriage. And that, uh, better than anything else, will break it. Absolutely. And, and that, is, that is, you know, it's such a profound betrayal and breaking of that bond that, you know, that is one of the reasons that Jesus gives for, you know, acknowledging it may be impossible to repair that break um, over time. Uh, I have had many Marines and sailors tell me about, you know, adultery situations uh, where, where especially they're, they're deployed and either they're the ones that did it, you know, or, or it was done to them. And uh, the, the, you can just see how it has shaken their, you know, their hearts, um, you know, in, in such profound ways. And what's, what's tricky is so many people today are spiritual but not religious, right? So, so a lot of times people aren't getting together uh, even from the same faith group or having any faith group at all. And so in that case, there, you know, you have, you have nothing really external to hold on to. You know, all you can hold on to is the other person. And sometimes you'll see, you know, uh, couples will put each other on this unrealistic pedestal. Like, oh, you are, you are just the most wonderful thing ever. And oh, I, I just, I love you. And you're, you're just perfect. And, you know, whereas a Christian couple or a Lutheran couple, we, we acknowledge original sin, right? Now, don't get me wrong. You've 
there's still, you know, romance and, and love and, and all of those things. Those are great to have, but, you know, we also know we're not perfect. And we understand going into this thing that we're going to need a lot of forgiveness ourselves and we're going to need to give a lot of forgiveness, you know, going in. And when couples don't have that foundation and one of them, you know, betrays the other in some way, you know, they, you know, suddenly they, the relationship suffers because it's the person, you know, well, they were my pedestal. They were my rock. I was holding on to them. And now, now they have nothing to hold on to. And so that, that is why, you know, having this common faith, you know, this, this foundation in, in the Christian church, in the Lutheran church, that is just so key to, to marriage success, but also to, if, God forbid, if something happens in a marriage, that, you know, this is the key to confession, absolution, healing, and moving past that um, as well. Uh, but, but yes, it is totally a, a, a betrayal that can that can happen. Um, yes, any, any other comments or questions on this section on uh, adultery? You know, one thing I, I would, I didn't really mention that Dr. Gibbs doesn't necessarily mention in his commentary is adultery in the 21st century is a lot different than adultery in the first century um, because, because of these things, right? because of the, the uh, blessing of the internet is you have all the knowledge of the human race ever at your fingertips. The curse of the internet is you have temptation at your fingertips all the time. And, but again, Jesus' warnings and his words on adultery still apply, even with that temptation. And again, there are um, different support groups, not just... Um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, there are actually Sex Addicts Anonymous groups that people can be part of as well to, to support each other in being um, faithful to God. So again, the, the resources are out there and it's, it's a lot more widespread than you know, I think a lot of people really imagine. So I mean, if, you, if you feel that could, you could benefit from that, you know, don't, um, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, so with, uh, with that, we'll go on to our, uh, our section here, these uh, two verses on divorce, uh, verse 31 and verse 32. Jesus says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery here. So as I said in the beginning, this is not case law, right? We have to have scripture interpret scripture in, in these verses here. Um, so first of all, Jesus uh, quotes something here in verse 31. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And that is... Uh, Nowhere in the Torah, that, that teaching. Uh, so the closest we get is there is this section in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, that presupposes a divorce is going to happen. And so I'll just share that with you uh, to give you like the perspective on it. Um, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 through 4. Uh, when a man takes a wife and marries her, 
if she does not find favor in his eyes because he has found her in some indecency, and he writes for her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and belongs to another man, and the latter man hates her and writes for her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man who took her to be his wife dies, then the first man who sent her away may not remarry her by again taking her to be his wife after she had been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not cause sin in the land of the Lord your, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So that's the, that's the verses. It's, um, there's some controversy in, in these words, and actually in first century uh, Judaism, there is two different ways to take these verses here, because there's this, um, this weird little phrase here, if he has found her in some um, indecency, eravat uh, davar, there. Um, What's the indecency he's talking about? Like, what's, how do you define indecency? Because this is essentially what some see as the, the key justification for uh, divorce. So there are two uh, interpretations of this, the Shammai school and the Hillel school. So the Shammai school said that some indecency absolutely only could refer to adultery, that if the, if, uh, in other words, if the husband uh, finds his or wife, or a, we could say a wife finds her husband um, in the midst, in the actual act of adultery, then that has grounds for divorce. That was the Shammai school. The Hillel school had more of a kind of a broader, looser uh, understanding of that some indecency. Um, so it was, it could be basically not just. Uh, not just adultery, but any kind of matter, you know, any, any kind of, you know, trigger event. It's, it's almost like this is the, the Hillel school was the first century equivalent of what we would call the no-fault divorce uh, today. And that, and that was the understanding most likely, and that was most popular, the Hillel understanding when Jesus was speaking in uh, Matthew 5 here. And um, so, so, the, uh, so it had kind of this lax view on what was permissible as far as getting, getting a divorce. Um, or, and it, so it allowed a husband to divorce his wife for virtually any cause whatsoever. And um, so Jesus' response to that, first of all, he categorically denies the validity of divorce in general. Though he acknowledges, as we were talking before, where sexual unfaithfulness has occurred, then divorce may be regarded as permitted. However, divorce is never God's will or intention. So when a man divorces his wife, he separates what God has joined together. And it is the same as him committing adultery and forcing his injured and innocent wife into a remarriage that is likewise a tantamount to a adulterous union because it destroys the marriage union that God has created. So he, for Jesus, divorce is in several ways the same as adultery. 
However, however, is divorce the same as adultery in every respect? No. Um, as we were looking at in previous, previous topics as well, thoughts of murder are not the same thing as actual murder. Thoughts of adultery are not the same thing as actual you know, physical adultery. So also, divorce, if is in some ways, is like adultery, but in other ways, it is not necessarily automatically adultery. Uh, so uh, you have, practically speaking, um, that uh, divorce inflicts uh, greater harm on uh, children, relatives, the fabric of society, um, whereas less harm is done by adultery if the spouse can be reconciled and re remarried to the other spouse there. Uh, the one, there was actually one study, because I'm, again, you know, the church today, we talk about, you know, some of these more advanced issues of, of marriage and things like that. I don't know that we necessarily talk about uh, divorce as strongly, but, um, you know, there's, you know, there was a study by, it was a Danish study um, by, let's see, Frisch and Hvid. I'm, I don't, I couldn't even, Havid, I'm sorry. Um, but the, it did a study of two million Danes um, who were, you know, uh, LGBTQ, LGBT, one of those category. And it found predominantly that in most of those situations that there was a broken family in the, in the background there. Uh, so so as, as we as a church are, you know, championing, you know, marriage and, you know, between one man and one woman and, you know, fighting for, you know, traditional marriage, we, we need to not refrain from also advocating against divorce as a church. Now, having said that, um, there, is, there is some, like I said, this is not case law, right? So uh, when, when um, say, say the situation if a wife is wrongfully divorced by her husband, and Jesus actually, you know, you know, plays, spells this out for us, then he makes her to uh, be take part in this adultery. However, she is innocent. She is innocent um, because, you know, her, her say her sinning husband uh, goes on and remarries or absolutely, you know, refuses to reconcile. Right then that precludes the chance of any reconciliation. So uh, this, and then Jesus' words here, everyone who divorces his wife makes her uh, having, a, having adultery committed against her. So this is, this is not saying that the innocent party is committing adultery. It is saying that she is the victim of adultery being committed against her. Um, and so she is not guilty of permanent adultery and, uh, with her second husband then. So that's, that's, a, that's a key point here. And the, so the Lutheran tradition has uh, never been, you know, trying to read this as case law. Like we've always understood it um, that, uh, you know, there's, there are uh, situations in where a divorce is not actually adultery. Um, so, uh, it's kind of funny, uh, Dr. Gibbs here, as he's writing these, like you can tell he's, uh, 
he's trying to walk a very narrow line where he doesn't want to just relax. He doesn't want to do the Hillel school thing and just say, you know, divorce is cool. Go, go for it. You know, life is short. Get a divorce. He, he's not saying that at all. But he's also trying to be faithful to uh, Jesus' words here that um, there's, there are cases where divorce is not uh, the same thing as, as adultery. So, like, as we said, if, if someone is wrongfully divorced as, I mean, it's kind of a, a scary world today, right? With no-fault divorce, you, both parties have the, the you know, in a, when you're launching a nuclear missile, right, don't you need, like, two keys to, you know, you need at least two people to agree to do that. But when it comes to divorce, only need one person to say, you know, no more. Like, it do, you don't need the consent of both parties. So it is, it is a, a difficult and scary time for uh, marriages. And um, so I, that's part of why I think Jesus' words on uh, divorce like, and, you know, keeping that right perspective, um, not wrongfully condemning people who have been the victims of divorce, but also not just, you know, relaxing standards and saying, you know, what you're, you know, the, you had, you know, oven made frozen, you know, whatever chicken nuggets for supper. Well, divorce, you know, like he's not, not saying that either. Um, and, and, uh, you know, but you can definitely see the kind of the, the chain of causation here, um, or the association of these different things. Um, and then how they kind of, feedback into each other. What is the greatest, you know, commission of murder today? Abortion, right? And when, when is abortion more likely to happen um, in, a, in a situation where there was um, adultery or uh, divorce? And, um, you know, there's, there's uh, some situations where, like, in, in the military, you might hear of, you know, things like this happening where, you know, you had a a couple that was, you know, divorced or, or separated, and then they, you know, got back together for whatever, you know, reason, and then a child uh, was, or at least a pregnancy took place. And in that situation, like the the odds of that child, you know, you know, being kept alive are very low. And and I've I've dealt with that multiple times where I've tried to encourage people to uh, not. Uh, not get that uh, uh, abortion, and it's again they've they've put themselves in a situation where it's just very unstable, and so a lot of times people will choose to to uh, kill the kid, which is you know very sad. But um, uh, yeah, so so as far as uh, uh, divorce and uh, adultery and uh, murder here, uh, uh, any any thoughts or questions about? Any of those, or we can we can certainly uh, go a little further here as well. Yes. Uh, I, I don't want to go all the way to saying if your wife makes you frozen chicken for dinner that you can divorce her, but it it seems like the Shem, the the Shemai school couldn't be right completely either, because mm-hmm. isn't it true that if a uh, 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 at least in Old Testament times, if a, a woman committed divorce or a man com- or, or committed adultery or a man committed adultery, they got killed. 
So what would the, what's the, it doesn't sound like nonsense to say first segment of divorce her, then she gets killed. <laughs> Is that the way it had to work? Or, I mean, well, no, then she couldn't go on and marry another man, right? That, so yeah. it seems that there had to be something less than, than flat out adultery that would justify the divorce, according to the Old Testament thinkers, but yet not be just anything goes. Okay, I'm just going to say, ah, you know. Yes. I don't like that wrinkle you got. You're out. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm a little bit, uh, it's funny that there's just those two schools uh, on that, uh, because it seems like the one school is absurd on its face, and the other school, well, I can see why Jesus would be against it. Yes, that's, that is, that is an interesting point that, um, honestly, I hadn't really uh, thought about, like, adultery, if someone is caught in adultery, then they, they would be, you know, killed. So, Even in Jesus' day, the woman was brought to him. Was brought to him to be, to be stoned to death. So, you know, how, how do those two uh, harmonize? And especially with, you know, this, this idea of the, the two different schools. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I would have to do a little research on that because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too, too sure. Um, I think the most, the most egregious case of, um, it wasn't necessarily... Because it's it's not necessarily just adultery that would uh, merit a a divorce, but it um, man, this one chaplain told me this story of a um, and he gave me per permission to share it too. That the service member came to him, and uh, he had he was getting he needed some marriage counseling. He said, and he was he had been having some health problems for a few years, uh, just some some different you know, random illnesses, and he'd kind of gotten, you know, gone to the doctor and gotten taken care of, and um, then, he, then he started, you know, feeling really bad, and he went to his doctor and uh, found out that his uh, liver was failing, and, and, you know, he had a pretty healthy diet, you know, he, he thought, so he's like, why, why is my liver failing? I'm not, like, living hard. What's going on? So, he, uh, he goes to his, this service member goes to his kitchen and uh, kind of just looks around in the pantry and he finds, I forget what kind of poison it was, but his, uh, this guy's wife was actually poisoning him. And, um, and, you know, gradually, like, he was, you know, getting his organs were failing because of, you know, what was being put in his food. And so... He's talking to this chaplain, and he's like, um, oh, man, what do, what do I do here? You know, and the chaplain's like, well, I mean, I think you need to leave her, man. I mean, she's trying to kill you, you know? And, and, uh, and his, uh, his response was, but I love her, you know? And, um, yeah, like, wow. So, so I mean, there's, there's definitely, you know, a lot of, uh, like we said, contingencies in, and that, Unfortunately, the, as a fallen race, we, we face today as Christians. And so, I, again, Jesus' words aren't necessarily like hard case law, necessarily. It's, it's more like general, general guidelines. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, it's, it is an interesting point. Yes? I'm just curious. How did the whole concubine thing, how was that addressed? 
in the yes. New Testament. That's, that's a good point. How is Solomon not, um, not this horrible adulterer? You know, I mean, he had, you know, 300 wives and what, several Same more point. hundred concubines. Like how, how was that, how was that a thing? And, uh, again, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily addressed and you, you kind of have this, um, uh, like, like we talked about in the gospel reading today, you have this kind of pole, two different poles going on in the Old Testament of how God's will is for his creation and his people to act and how people actually act. And the Old Testament kind of plays out between, between those two. So you'll have books like, like uh, Esther uh, and uh, Ruth where, where it much more, the people in it are acting much more like, like God would have them act, you know, like much more piously. But you have things like judges, you know, where people are just off the hook and just psychotic, right? And, and they're not necessarily accounted, in, as we see, uh, for their false actions. Um, but we do see the practical impa- impact for Solomon of, um, you know, having all those wives, all those foreign gods and those relationships. Uh, he brought idolatry into Israel uh, big time and, you know, in, in such a way that the only reason God didn't, you know, split the kingdom in Solomon's lifetime was because of David, his father. And it was the very next uh, uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, that during his reign that the kingdom was divided into north and south and it, it just broke down from there. So you'll see, so there were there was some divine retribution, I would say, for, but that was probably more for the idolatry side than the adultery side. Um, so, so, yeah, but it's a good question. And, uh, yes, um, I believe we're getting close to our uh, uh, time here. So uh, thank you for your time, and the Lord be with you.